0: Good morning, beloved of the Lord. Uh, We will be reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. We've been hearing about the spiritual gifts that uh, the Lord has blessed His church with. And here we'll be reading about Pentecost when the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And uh, the beginning of the spiritual gifts and their ministries... Uh, Begin. Let us hear God's word. Uh, This is uh, Peter bearing witness to what all have seen, and so we're going to start, sort of, in the middle of his his speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exalt them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And the fellowship to breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and all had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved.
1: If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verse 16. It's one verse, but as you've probably noticed, there's an awful lot in that verse, and so we're going to work on unpacking all of that bit by bit. So Ephesians 4.16, church growth, the original plan, God's original plan for church growth. And you'll be able to look back and think back to what Brandon read for us in Acts 2. Now you can see already God working there with His plan to grow the church. In a child's development, growth produces more growth. You think about when a baby is born, they consume only liquids initially. But as they take in those liquids and the nutrients from those, their body grows, and then as their body grows, they're able to start uh, getting onto such wonderful things like, you know, pureed fruits and vegetables. And so they get some of those nutrients in a little wider variety of foods. And and so they grow a little more and and as a result, they start growing in ways like they start developing Developing teeth, and with teeth and, and their their systems developing, they can handle a, an even wider variety of foods, thinking in terms of foods that require chewing, and so that they couldn't have handled when they were first born. And so growth produces more growth, and that's what we're dealing with here today. As believers use their gifts, the church grows, and as the church grows, it enables us to produce even more growth. And so it ends up being circular. And as you see on the slide, the little circular diagram there, where growth produces more growth, which produces more growth and produces, it just keeps going and going. And that's God's plan. And so our, our main idea is this today be encouraged to faithfully exercise your spiritual gifts. Be encouraged to faithfully exercise your spiritual gifts. Why? Knowing that God is using your service, your service all of you to build up the church if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you're a part of this church then he is using your service to build up the church and as we've seen all throughout this section when he's talking about the church uh, he has ultimately in mind the the universal church the church that will be all together one day in heaven which will be the temple remember Ephesians 2 the temple of God uh, for all eternity but it also applies to the local church. And what we're going to be saying today applies mostly to the local church, which is just a small piece of that larger ultimate church. And so our focus is going to be primarily on the local church this morning. So back in chapter 4, verse 1, when we got into that section, what Paul was doing is beginning to apply all of the rich, wonderful truth that he had established in chapters 1 through 3. And so, as he starts out there in chapter 4, it's like, okay, in light of all of that, let's get to work and let's put it into application. And so, the first thing he does there is he says, and this kind of serves as a heading to the the whole of chapters 4 through 6, walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And he's going to break that out into various ways of walking. He's going to use that term walk over and over again throughout the rest of the book. And the first time he talks about that, as we have that umbrella term, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, the first way to walk that's worthy of your calling is to walk in unity. And so chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 is about walking in unity. And so this morning we're rounding out that section on unity. We've learned there that a key to unity is to help the church grow by using the spiritual gifts that Christ provides. So that's, that's a key to unity. And we don't often think in those terms. You know, we think in terms of you know trying to get along and that sort of thing. Not that using our gifts is actually going to help build us so that we are more unified, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. So, I'd like to jump into the passage here and get us oriented to it before we actually start breaking it down. So I want to back up to verse 7, where we first start talking about spiritual gifts and get us caught up here. So, Ephesians 4, verse 7. "...but to each one of us grace was given." According to the measure of Christ's gift. And that measure is an important term that's going to come up again, where Christ measures out his gift to each person. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also He who ascended far above all the heavens. That is, That He might fill all things. And that filling all things is what He's going to be talking about in the rest here. And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Why? To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. See, the unity comes up again. He's not done with it. And, of the, and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so, what we've been learning is that as we serve one another using our gifts, the body of Christ grows. We're finishing up our discussion of these last few verses, 14 through 16, which we began a few weeks ago. We've learned that when the body of Christ grows, it will result in two things or three things. When the body of Christ grows, it will result in three things. The first is that it will prevent spiritual instability, verse 14. As a result, you see here the results of that growth. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, our, our, our growth as a church is to prevent spiritual instability. That's one of the results. Second result, it will promote ongoing spiritual growth. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So it also it prevents spiritual instability, promotes ongoing spiritual growth. And then now, today, we're going to be looking at, verse 16, it will produce spiritual growth by the loving work of each individual. It will produce the, the, the spiritual growth. Remember, it's is circular. So it's just going to keep building, right? It will produce spiritual growth by the loving work of each individual. And so verse 16, he says, "...from whom," talking about Christ, "...from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love." So here then, before us, in verse 16, is God's original plan for church growth. And, you know, if you do much Christian reading, whether it's in periodicals or books or online, church growth has been a hot topic for a long time. And you know, I remember when I was in seminary, you know, eons ago, and and that was, you know, the hot thing was, you know, the seeker-sensitive church. That's the way to, to grow church. And, and then there's other ways, you know, and they... You know, Kevin and I get stuff in the mail sometimes where, you know, they're saying, you know, hey, if you'll pay us a lot of money, we'll come in, we'll do a survey of your community, and we'll tell you how to grow your church. You know, and and so we just ignore them. Um, We have instructions on how the church grows. We don't grow the church it Directly. Christ grows His church. Now, He puts us to work in doing that. We're going to see today. But we don't, we're not left to try to figure this out, and that's so great, you know, that we're not going out to the world and say, hey, tell us how to grow the church the way that you've grown a business. They're, they're two different entities. And, and they have a very different foundation, very different goals in mind. And we're going to see how everything about it is different. For one, growing the church is Christ-centered. Nothing that we ever hear about, you know, these secrets to church growth, none of those are Christ-centered. I've never seen one of those that they start out with Christ. And as we're going to see, you know, there's five elements to this church growth, and every one of those is Christ, 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 Christ. We don't even see it once in the literature, the ads and things that we, we get. If any of you would like to volunteer to open our mail for us, we'd be glad to give it to you. (laughs) My favorite one was the Sermon Stopper, you know, and no no comment. This is God's original plan for church growth. Paul examines the church's growth piece by piece here. He's going to break it down. Now, as we read verse 16, there's a mouthful there. You know, and as Paul is, is probably um, rattling this off, and somebody is, is probably writing it out for him, <clears throat> taking the dictation, if you will. He 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 delivers a lot in what we know of as one verse, and he didn't have verses back then. But there's a lot there, so we're gonna we're gonna do just like Paul. We're gonna take it piece by piece. First piece, first component. Christ is the source of the church's growth Christ is the source of the church's growth not a survey not anything else. Christ is the source of the church's growth <clears throat> now and that's <clears throat> this this phrase from whom okay so we're going to just look at two words there for a minute we need to briefly discuss a theological issue here Okay, if you've done any study with uh, the how feminism has impacted the church or tried to impact the church, and some people in the and I'm talking here the the broader church, if you will, not our church, but <clears throat> there are those who are egalitarians. Uh, some call themselves evangelical feminists, which mm, you know <laughs> why'd you put those two words together? <laughs> you know they're, they're trying to sound good, but. Basically, they believe that man and woman have... They're they're equal in every way. They're the same in every way. That they have the same roles. And so these are people who believe that women can be pastors, even though the Bible says that that is not allowed. Okay, That women can be elders. That women can teach men. Things that the Bible is very clear about. But they, they want to try to show that that isn't the case, what we hold to here in this church. And those who hold to sound doctrine, uh, they want to try to show that it's different. So we're going to take just a minute to talk about this phrase. They claim that this phrase, from whom, proves their point. Because what they want to do, what they reject, and where they're going with this, is is going to be chapter 5. Okay, Because in chapter 5, Paul's going to say there that, the husband is the head of the wife. They despise that. Okay? They want to reject that completely, totally. So, to do that, I mean, they've got a biblical phrase there the husband is the head of the wife. So, what do they have to do? They have to redefine the word head. And what they have done is they've gone back to this passage and they said, aha. We've found it. You conservatives, you're completely wrong. We've figured it out. You see, because, and they say that this word, these two words, from whom, which we agree does mean source, they say it refers back to the word head in the previous verse. And so you can see in the white box on the slide there, the previous verse, which says, verse 15, him who is the head, even Christ, and then the words from whom. And they say, aha, from whom source points back to head, therefore, head means source. Now, for you ladies, does that work for you? Your husband is your source? I mean, I don't know that that's any better than saying he's your head. I mean, they're they're two different ideas, but they want to get away from the idea of authority. That is the issue for them. They don't like the idea that the husband is the ultimate authority in the family. Ultimate in a, you know, very, uh, in a, only one sense. Because obviously Christ is the ultimate authority, but. And and so they say, ah, oh, head means source. So the husband is the source of the wife. Now, you're not even, I just don't understand what they mean by that. It doesn't even make sense. Okay. Now, I'll show you even more here in a second how that doesn't make any sense. So, we can easily dismiss this use of um, this particular verse, or 16, 15 and 16 for head, meaning source. Because grammatically, the phrase from whom, beginning in verse 16, what we say in grammar circles is what is the closest antecedent? Okay, that's just what is the, the most recent word that he just said. What is the most recent word? Christ. Okay? Not head. Christ. So, Christ is the source of the church's growth. Okay? His headship is not the source. Okay? And, and so you may be kind of wondering, okay, why are we spending all this time on this, John? It's going to become really important when we get into chapter five. Okay, because we're going to, we're going to work through this again and so that you understand rightly what the Bible means by headship, whether it's Christ as the head of the church or the husband as the head of the wife. And so you want to understand it in the right way biblically. So it, from whom does not point back to head. It points back to Christ, his person. He personally is the head of the church, okay? And what he's doing there, Paul is saying, is, okay, let me tell you one thing about Christ, he's the head. Let me tell you another thing about Christ. Christ is the source, okay? Those are different functions of Christ, if you will. Now, they go together, we'll see, because as head, he's distributing the gifts, right? But as Christ, not just as head, but as Christ, as God the Son, with the power of God the Son, He is energizing those gifts, so that we're going to see in this verse, He causes the growth of the church. Okay. Headship in the New Testament, when you go and actually look at what the New Testament says, headship describes authority. In fact, and and we can, if you want to turn, you can, uh, or you can just listen... um, Chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 20, talking about Christ. God raised Him from the dead. Then verse 21, He he seated Him far above all rule and what? Authority. So in other words, He has authority over all authority. Okay? So we husbands, our authority is Christ. Right? Elders, our authority is Christ. He's over all. Okay? Above all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, that is Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the idea there, he, he talks about headship and he ties it together with authority. Okay, So we've already seen in Ephesians that headship refers to authority in Colossians 1:18 it refers to preeminence it talks about Christ having first place in everything so there's the sense in which as head he has first place he's the one who's leading this whole procession of all of us who are marching to Zion okay so he is preeminent he's the example we follow he's the one who leads us right okay so but it's primarily authority but it also has the, the idea of preeminence it does not have the idea of source But as I said, Christ himself, in his person, is the source of growth in the body. By his authority, Jesus directs the whole church's growth. So see, he, he, as head, directs the church's growth. He provides the gifts through the Holy Spirit. He energizes those gifts through the Holy Spirit. And he is the cause, as we're going to see, of the growth. Okay? Okay? He's, he's the source. So the headship goes with it, but it's, they're not the same thing. Also, human body and these evangelical feminists these egalitarians, they try to convince us that well you know back in ancient times they weren't you know they didn't know much about the human body and they just assumed that the, the head was the source of the body. Like, okay, well, if somebody did believe that, They were wrong, and so why would Paul base, and why would the Holy Spirit base his argument on something that was wrong? Okay, and and that's not at all the case. The head, you know, just think back to your, you know, biology, anatomy, all all your sciences. The head is not the source of the body. You know there. It, the body is so complex that, you know, there's a source of this and, and this and that and all over the body. Okay? It's not that everything flows out of the source. It's not that, you know, a baby is born, you know, just the head and then the, it, it provides and builds the rest of the body. That, that doesn't work. Head is not the source. Head, head is never understood as the source. What does the head do? Now, our head does have an important function, right? What does it do? It directs the body. Okay, it's my head that's making me move my hands to walk around, to talk. Okay, my head is making me do that. Okay, my head is directing my body. Your head is directing your body, you know, to sit, to listen, to absorb this. You see, the head gives direction to the body. It's not the source of the body. Okay? So we had to spend a little bit of time on that. And we can talk more about it if you'd like uh, afterward. And then we'll come back around to that when we get to Ephesians 5. and Talk about what does it mean then for the husband to be the head of the wife. Okay? Because he ties those together. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. There's a parallel there. And we're going to talk about what that means then. But we needed to deal with this passage because of the way that it is abused and misused. Okay? Moving on. We said Christ is the source of the church's growth. He personally is the source of the church's growth. Secondly, Christ's work is intricate. And we're going to talk about three things that Paul brings out about how intricate this process is. So again, verse 16, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. We'll stop there. His work is intricate. let's talk about the three things he says about it. That intricacy. First, Christ skillfully and carefully fits us together. And and he says, and and you should have... The English translations try to be a little concise here, and they, they use the word together only once. But really, in Greek, the, the two words have together with built onto both of the words that we're going to look at here first. So it should be fitted together and then either held together or knitted together, we're going to see. Okay, so the together is, it goes with both of those words. He fits together all of us. ...in the church. We've seen this word fitted already in Ephesians 2.21. You remember there we were talking about that ancient process of, of building... ...the way that as these construction workers would build a wall... ...and, and they, would, they would get a, a stone and they would set it... ...and then they would find another stone that would fit with that. Because they, back then they didn't use mortar in all the way we do... ...when we laid bricks or rock or whatever, which is a lot faster and easier... They they had to make these things fit perfectly, and so they would try to find a stone that would that would fit that. And they would try different stones and everything. And if it didn't, then they would shape them. They would say, okay, well I'm just going to have to take one of these. I'm going to you know chisel off part of it so it fits in there. And so they would they would do this. And, that, and you know as you get further on the wall, it gets more involved. It's a very intricate process because now you've got these different rocks that it all has to fit in with. Okay, and sometimes they're like, man, that's still not going to work. Take it off, find another one, or, or shape it. very intricate process. And so we said there that God joins and fits believers together with skill and care. That's the idea behind this fitted together. He joins and fits believers together with skill and care. Here in Ephesians 4.16, it is Christ specifically who's doing the work. Christ, who carefully fits together, he fits us together using an elaborate process. Okay, that same, think in terms of the way they would build the wall, they would get those those stones to all fit in together. He accomplishes this by carefully and meticulously fitting us together. And you may wonder, why has the Lord put us together, you know, this group? And why does he add people? And, and how do they, he knows what he's doing? He's fitting us together. We may not, you know, you may sometimes think, well, I don't know if they really are going to fit. Well, you leave that to Christ, because if he wants them in this church, he will fit them. That may mean he has to chop a little bit off of you to get them to fit. And He might chop a little bit off of them. Whatever it takes, he's going to fit us together with an elaborate process. Okay, next phrase. So the whole body being fitted. And then the second, and held together. We're going to look at that word, that phrase, "held together." One word in Greek. So the second part of this intricacy is this: Christ meticulously knits us together. So he fits us together, and he knits us together to complete his church. So this this word, "held together," is the bringing together of different strands to form a complete whole. It is used in one way in ancient Greek for philosophers or teachers, for example, where they take various strands of truths and they knit them together, if you will, meticulously in order to to support or to make a point, the main idea, to prove a point. And, and you see, this is just ancient, because that's exactly what I typically do in my sermons and I'm doing today. I gave you that main idea up front, which I normally do, right? So you kind of know where we're going. This is what we're, what I'm trying to show you the, the text is, is saying, okay? And that's my job. I try to look at the text. What is it saying? What's the main idea and then, how do the different points of that text, the different phrases, words, how do they prove that main idea? How do they support that main idea? So I'll give you the main idea, and then, you know, like you typically, you know, because of the way our brains work, there's usually three points, but sometimes there's two or four, you know. And that's kind of, you think about logic, you do the same thing with logic, right? So it was this word was used for that But it was also used of of knitting together strands of yarn. So there's that idea of taking various strands of something, truths or yarn. But the, the point isn't just the knitting together. But it has a goal in mind. There's a complete whole that the person is working toward. So, so in my sermons, I'm working toward helping us see that main idea. If you're knitting a sweater, then you're bringing together these strands of yarn with something in mind. You don't just, you know, just start knitting and see what comes out. Okay, that doesn't work very well. You have something in mind, a blanket or a a scarf or something, and you're knitting toward that. You're looking for that completed whole. That's what the idea of this phrase held together or knitted together uh, has in mind. So Christ is meticulously working to knit individual saints, that's you and me, to knit us together into a beautiful church that reflects His glory. That's what He's doing. So each one of us is, a, if you want to think of it as a strand of yarn, and He's knitting us together into a beautiful church because He wants to reflect His glory. And again, you can jump ahead a little bit to Ephesians 5. That's exactly what Christ as head of the church is doing, right? Is He's, he's, he's going to present her in all of her glory, which brings glory to Him. And that's what He's doing in the church. And think about this. You remember back in chapter 2, we were talking about there were two different groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And no two groups hated each other more than they did. They were at enmity with one another. And what this, that shows how astonishing this is. Because he takes people who had hated one another, in every way you could think, And he's knitting them together into a beautiful organization called the church. An organism called the church. Which will not be a sweater for him to wear, but it will be a temple for him to dwell in forever. That's the goal. Remember? Ephesians 2. That's what he's doing here. Next phrase. So there's being fitted together and held together. And then this phrase, by that which every joint supplies... And, and these are phrases that are kind of hard sometimes to put into English. That's why you'll find different ways that the English translations take them that still may confuse you. So hopefully I can try to get us to grasp what the main point is, and then I'm going to put it all together at the end. Okay? So the third way in which it shows how meticulous, how intricate is this process that Christ is doing is this. Christ works through each interaction between individuals to supply all that's needed for the church to grow. And yes, you heard me right. He works through each interaction between individuals. That is, between you and me and you and you and. Right? I know I have a hard job here to prove this to you, okay? Because you're thinking, mm hmm, I don't think so. How often do we avoid interaction? Because we know it just doesn't always go well. And so we avoid it a lot of times. And we need to understand, though, because we're thinking, you know, if I have interaction here, it's going to result in contention. But what Paul is saying is that actually through our contact with each other that Christ supplies what is needed for our growth. The growth of the body. And this is astonishing. Even in the difficult interactions. Even in the difficult ones. The problem ones. And just think with me for a minute. So you have this interaction and, and it, it's, it's butting heads. Okay, well, Christ is working to supply growth. What his church needs to grow. Because in that, what should be happening? Because as, as we're rubbing each other the wrong way, what Christ wants to do is to, you know, rub off those, those rough parts. Remember, he's fitting us together. And so that you see how that supplies the growth, what's needed for the growth, even the problem interactions. And so what we're talking about here, these interactions are primarily exercising gifts. And so you may think that, okay, I have the gift of helps, and so I, I, I want to help, but mm, when I help this person, you know, it, it doesn't always go well. But we need to remember that Christ is working in that through that to supply what his church needs for growth. Now that doesn't mean I'm not saying that the problems in our interactions are okay, because oftentimes it's sin that's at the root of that and we have to deal with that. But we need to to think in terms of that Christ is sovereign even over our interactions. The good ones and the bad ones to grow his church. You know, so we don't think in terms of, okay, well, there's, you know, this little issue and this little issue and this big issue and, you know, and let's just all run screaming away from that. No, we should look at that as like, okay, that's going to be hard and, yeah, it's tough, but Christ is working through that. Because, you know, if, if you're on the receiving end of a bad interaction, you need to think in terms of, okay, I may need to grow in patience. I need to grow in steadfastness. I need to grow in mercy and grace and maybe tenderheartedness toward this person. And you see, so both sides, there's potential for growth. Now, let me show you how we get there. This word in your translation probably has ligament or joint, And and it does mean that the word does can mean those, but it has a wider range of meaning than that. And the idea, if you look at all of the ways in which that word is used, the common denominator is this idea of touch, okay, or contact. What he's saying here is Jesus uses every touch point, every interaction. Every point of contact between believers to supply what is needed for church growth. Let me say that again. Jesus uses every touch point, every interaction, every point of contact between believers to supply what is needed for church growth. And this happens as we're using our gifts Because remember, our gifts are not me-centered, they're other-centered. So I, right now, what I'm doing is I'm not talking, you know, because I love to hear myself talk. I'm talking because I'm trying to, I'm hoping that the Lord is using this to help you understand His Word and to profit from it. You see, all of our gifts should be other-centered, right? Doing it for the other, the other person, to minister to them. So church growth depends on every believer, and it depends on the faithful exercise of every believer's gift or gifts. You see, so so it's not just, you know, the leaders of the church, it's all of us. It, it depends on all of us. Now, let's talk about this word which you may have in your translation, supplies or supporting. <clears throat> This is a word which originally was used to describe someone who would pick up the full tab for presenting a chorus in public. Okay, So somebody with a lot of money, and they would come along, and they'd say, okay, I will. you just tell me what it costs, and I'll pay everything to put on this performance, this choir performance, in public. And so that person would be referred to with this Greek word, koregeo. Okay we, get, okay, core, okay, we get chorus, we get choreography from that, choir, all those words, right? And that's because that's what this person was known to do, to pay, to pay all the costs for putting on a performance like that. So it has the idea of supplying amply what is needed. As we serve one another by using our gifts, points of contact will happen. If you use your gift, points of contact will happen, okay? It is in these contact points, these relationship interactions, that Christ supplies what is needed for His church. And He supplies it amply, overwhelmingly. He gives everything that is needed. And so for for if you step back a minute and think about this, All of our interactions, as we're exercising our gifts, and maybe you have the gift of encouragement, and you encourage someone. Okay, and there's that interaction there. There's an interaction going on right now between you and me. Okay, there's a whole bunch of these interactions going on. Okay, all the exercises of your gifts, whatever helps, giving everything, there are there interactions, points of contact. And it's in those that Jesus is amply supplying everything that is needed to grow His church. That's astounding, isn't it? Now, it's a little hard to believe, because we know how points of contact go sometimes. But it's in those that He's supplying what we need. Next phrase. And we'll move back now. Those are the three things that describe how meticulous, how intricate Christ's work is. Now, Um, The third main point, according to the proper working of each individual part, and the point I want to make from that or to restate that, each person uses their gifts to the extent that Christ has measured them out to them. Each person uses their gifts, that's the plan, for us to use our gifts according to the extent Christ has measured out to you each individual again is responsible toward to work toward the growth of the body and and I want you to understand in this that you don't have to think big necessarily like well you know I mean I just make this little tiny contribution well from your perspective it might be tiny but not from Christ he knows what he's doing okay so I want you to think it what's important or Faithfulness? Okay, maybe you aren't doing grand things for God. Now, don't think that you have to do grand things for God in the worldly way of thinking. Faithfulness is what's important. Okay, so maybe, you know, your your gift looks like it's just really small. That's what Christ has measured out to you, so just be faithful with it. Okay. And then dependence on God. Those are keys to effective service: faithfulness and dependence on God. You see, we have to depend on His power in this, in exercising our gifts. Okay, because you know, if I ever were to preach a perfect sermon, which I know will never happen, but everything was just perfect about it, get an A on it in seminary, or A plus. Okay, if that were to happen, and I, I didn't get A pluses, so that in and itself. Zero Does nothing. Okay? It's when Christ working through the Holy Spirit and through the gift of teaching, preaching, that He energizes it and makes something happen. So I have to depend on Him. And that's actually how I pray every Lord's Day. And leading up to that, I pray, Lord, use my teaching to build your people up. Not because it's me, because I say my, because I know mine is worth nothing. It's only if he works through it. Okay? So I have to depend on him by faith. Okay. So what does he mean by the proper working of each individual part? Well, this word proper is the same word measure we've already seen twice in in this, this section. Verse 7, Christ gives gifts out according to His measure, what He decides. So He decides, okay, I'm going to give you this much, and that's what He gives. I'm going to give you this much, and that's what, how much He gives. You see, He measures that out. But it was also used back in verse 13 for, the remember, the measure of the stature, the full stature of Christ, that's we're to measure up to. As a church, we grow toward that. So He's already used this term, measure, twice. And and it's closest to the first use of that in verse 7. Each individual is to use his or her gifts to the extent that Christ has measured out to you. You're to use your gifts to the extent that Christ has measured out to you. Let me give you a couple examples. So let's say that uh, I've talked about the gift of teaching. He may have measured out to you to be a, a substitute teacher, which means that you teach whenever needed, but it's not every week. He may have measured out to you teaching that is every week. Okay, you're a weekly teacher. Okay, those are two different measures. that He decides that. Okay, gift of giving. Okay, you may think in terms of, well, you know, I don't have a whole lot to give. You know, and you're like the widow with her two coins, you know. But if He has measured out to you smaller resources, but He gave you the gift of giving, you need to be faithful and give according to how He's measured out to you. Now, He may have entrusted to you large amounts of resources. That could be money, it could be time, you know, whatever. And he, He's giving you a lot more than be faithful and use that according to how He's measured out to you. Right? And The point we need to understand is don't ever think, like, well, you know, I'm not as important as the person who has more. That That is not don't think that way each of those has powerful effects I mean, think about how powerful it was I don't know if she had the gift of giving but the widow that gave the little two you me know, say the little mites you know the two little coins two pennies how powerful I mean that's still because it's in here that still it has a huge impact on all of us through all the church age you see so how even a small gift, if it's energized by Christ through His Holy Spirit, it has powerful effects. Just be faithful with what He's measured out to you. This word working, it's from the Greek word energeia. We've seen that before. It refers to active power, that power that's actually like flowing through the... electricity flowing through the power lines, okay? It's not like in a battery, it's dunamis. Now, this is energeia. And what, what's going on here, Paul doesn't lose sight of the role that each one of us has to play. Yes, he is the cause of the growth. He's the one that energizes the growth. But he uses, Paul applies this word "energia" to us and to our work, okay? Because even though Christ is working through us, he is working through us, okay? So our work actually has an impact. It actually accomplishes something because he is the one behind it. Next phrase, and I'll take us to the next point. This causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. So our fourth main point is this. Christ causes the church's growth through each person's service. In those many touch points between believers, Christ does not merely supply what we need to grow. He actually causes us to grow. Okay so he's got his sovereign power behind it causing us to grow but he has given each member spiritual gifts and he expects each of us to use our gifts faithfully as we employ our gifts depending upon him by faith he will energize our service he'll make these interactions effective to grow the body to what end Well, we have here again, for the building up of itself. And so what he does, in back in the end of verse 12, he talks about the building up of the body of Christ, and he finishes off this section with a bracket. So it's like bookends or brackets, right? So he says here, for the building up of itself. For the body to build itself up. So he's just driving home to us. This is the ultimate goal, for the building up of the body. The body of Christ. And then the final point. Love is the sphere of in which service and growth take place. Verse 16, once again, Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We recently learned that... We are to be practicing, verse 15, practicing the truth, how? In love. And he brings love up again here because it is so critical to this. And this is godly love. This is that other-centered love. So Paul wrote this in A.D. 60, this letter to the Ephesians. Thirty-five years later, we find the Ephesians again. And as we're reading in Revelation 2, we find that the Ephesian church is still standing for the truth. Jesus commended them. You cannot endure evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not and you found them to be false. So their teaching, their words were found to be false. They held them accountable to their teaching for their teaching. They also held them accountable for their deeds, their behavior. And he says, and you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so he commends them, but he had a stern rebuke for that church. He says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. So they practiced the truth by holding false teachers accountable for both their teaching and their actions, their behavior. But they didn't hold themselves accountable for the in love part. They had fallen down on that. They were still practicing the truth, but not in love. Jesus says, you've lost, you've left your first love. This is love for Jesus and love for one another. Jesus leaves it broad there, I think, to encompass both. Think about, we, we just said that love is the sphere, it's the environment in which service and growth take place in the church. It has to be a church where love is the environment. They had lost that aspect. They forgot the loving service that Paul called them to in Ephesians 4, and so Jesus reminds them of it in Revelation 2. So here, as we put it all together, this is God's original plan for church growth. This is kind of a long summary that's got a lot in it, and it's in the slides that I sent you, so if you want to go back and look at it, you can. Christ causes the church's growth, where He skillfully and carefully fits us together, knits us together, and works through each interaction between individuals to supply all that is needed for growth. Within the environment of godly love, each person uses their gifts to the extent that Christ has measured out to them. It may seem kind of far-fetched that Christ works through every interaction between us to grow the church, Even the problem interactions. Does that sound incredible? Does that sound impossible? Does that sound far-fetched? It it, it does. Until you think about what's behind it. It's not too far-fetched for the cross. And that's where all this keeps taking us back to the cross. We have to keep coming back to the cross. How can you, you love your brother when they sin against you? How can they love you when you've sinned against them? The cross. It's always the cross. Because it's through the cross that, that Christ has, has worked. He has saved us. He's transformed us, given us new life, and He's in the process of, of continually transforming us. And as He does that to us individually, He's doing that to us corporately. It's all about the cross. We have to always fly back to the cross and remember what Christ has done for us.